A pantser, a plotter, and real talk about the indie author life. If you're ready to get the support you need for your author career and life, join international indie bestseller Angela J. Ford and young adult fantasy author Stephanie Wabwa as they talk about all the things, writing, publishing, and the real life of an indie author. Thanks for tuning in to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. Together, let's build the writing life you love. Welcome to yet another episode of the Indie Author Lifestyle Podcast. We are here with episode 35, and we have a phenomenal interview to share with you. I'm really excited about it. We chatted with a brilliant editor who has 25 years of experience in the business, 20, Tiffany Yates Martin, and she is just amazing. Uh, one of the things I really liked about our conversation with her is that she talks about how to make editing fun. And by the time we got done, I was like so excited. I was like, let me go edit a book now. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, but anyway, before we dive into that amazing interview and you guys, you're going to want to take notes and like check out the show notes and all these awesome things. But we're just going to talk a little bit about what we're up to this week. So Stephanie, what is good in your world? Hey, Angela, and hello, hello to our listeners. I am really excited for Tiffany's interview because she's brilliant. Like, you know, when someone just knows what they know, she knows what she knows. And I'm really excited for all the value that everyone is about to receive. Make sure you have your pen and your papers. Get ready to take notes. It is an awesome interview. But as for me, I am just focusing on the sequel of Sarah from Falling. And so I have been working on pre-writing. Um, I realized that I cannot even like try and attempt to pants because I did and I failed. And it was supposed to be, it was a short story on top of that. And I thought I could get through this. I could not. So <laughs> I'm going back to my true self. So I am in plotter's land. Um, I've already decided, like I've already figured out the character arc journey. So that's going to be pretty fascinating because I haven't written a journey with this arc just yet. And so it'll be interesting to see how readers take it, like take it and how, um, if they will still love the main character or start to hate her. <laughs> so that'll be fun to see because she definitely, um, she takes on some changes in this book. So that'll be fascinating. So that's what I'm working on. I am back to studying, I believe it is um, the five uh, secrets of story structure, something like that by K.M. Wyland. I will go ahead and actually uh, we'll have the proper title for that, but it's the one about just developing your characters, something character arcs. I don't know why the name escapes me right now. I should know it, but it's like a, it's a light blue book and it's really good. This time around, I'm going through the workbook. So um, it's, which is really good for me because I already read the book before. So now I'm able to just look at the questions and really dive into um, the character because this time around, I'm not doing so much world building, which I typically do. This time I'm focusing 
just almost strictly on the character and then I will let the world around her develop organically. I mean, I have a visual of what it'll look like and what will happen, but I'm excited to build the story out from the character rather than building the story in from the world and then like putting her in there. So that'll be fascinating. Um, and I should, I hope to be writing within about a week or two or so. I should have been writing before that, but a couple of life things happened and that kind of threw me back. So I am behind a bit, but I'm excited. You know, the journey is the journey. Sometimes it's good and up, and then sometimes there's a little bit of a lull, but nevertheless, it's okay. It's still fun. It's still good. So that is what is going on for me. Angela, tell us what is going on. You have released today. <laughs> Well, um, I am, I'm just really writing like that. That really is it. Just like being in the trenches and writing. And so by the time this episode comes out, I will be up to 16 books released. And I'm so excited. That is insane. So crazy. Can we let that That's settle crazy. in? 16 books. Whew. Yeah. And I will admit my short stories, they're around, you know, it's really funny. When I first started my serial, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write these really short stories. It's going to be really fun. They're going to be like 15,000 words and stuff. And now I'm like, nah, they're going to be like 30,000 words because I actually feel like I can get out a full story. Well, not quite a full story, but a better section of a story because these are like a scene in someone's life. Like 30,000 words is not that much. It's kind of like, you know, these few days in their lives um, that are just very life-changing. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm working on number seven right now. And I just love it. I love like the characters and just having something so new and refreshing. And I think it's been really helpful for my writing to have something new and refreshing all the time to kind of keep me passionate and motivated about it. And so that's helpful while I'm still working on my long epic fantasy. And so it's just, it's just super fun. Anyway, um, yeah, writing is just so much fun. And like the whole process is fun. And I think with this uh, interview, this episode, I think what I would really like you to take away as a listener is the fact that the entire process can be fun and rewarding. It doesn't have to be a slog. You don't have to have those days where you're like, I just hate everything. All my work sucks. Like, this is a project and you really can't judge it until you get to the very end of it. You can't sit down and like write your first draft and go, this is crap because it's a foundation and you have to continue to build upon it. And so that's what I hope you'll take away from this episode is that this is a project. You can have fun with it. You can have fun at every single level. Before we get started talking on today's topic, here's a word about our indie author lifestyle workshops. Workshops are designed for career authors who want in-depth training on certain topics to help you take your career to the next level. Join us each month to dig into writing, publishing, and book marketing strategies for only $27.99. Plus, get access to the exclusive community. Find out our topic of the month by going to IndieAuthorLifestyle.com forward slash workshops. Now back to our episode.
Welcome to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. Today we have a very special guest, Tiffany Yates Martin. She helps authors tell their stories as effectively, compellingly, and fully as possible. Her philosophy as an editor is as a midwife, helping you deliver your story to get the best version of your vision onto the page. Tiffany, we are so excited to talk to you and we're really excited to talk about your latest book, Intuitive Editing. But before we really dig into that, I'd love to know how did you get started? Why did you decide you wanted to be an editor? Uh, and then tell us a little bit about your books because I saw that you've written both fiction and nonfiction, so that that's exciting. Thanks. Um, first, thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled. I just discovered your podcast recently, but I've just been devouring it. I really enjoy it. Um, so how did I get started? This is actually a funny story because I was not setting out to be an editor. I was an actor at the time living in New York City. And so like every other actor in New York City, I was also a waiter and did not want to do that forever. Uh, but I had majored in English literature and I thought, I wonder if there's a way to like make money doing something with books or reading. And I found in the New York Times, there was a classified ad that said, literally get paid for reading books. Send us $25. We'll tell you how. And y'all, this was in 1992, maybe. So uh, 25 bucks, first of all, was more than. And second of all, I was a starving artist. So it was a fortune for me. But I thought, you know, I bet this is a scam, but I'm going to try it. And I sent away for this pamphlet, which turned out to be incredibly helpful. And it told you how to, first of all, uh, learn, like at the time I was doing proofreading and copy editing, how to learn the symbols and what books you would need to study to understand, you know, the principles that you need to know as a copy editor and proofreader, and then how to approach the editors and the major publishers. So I worked with, for about 15 years, I worked with almost every one of the big six at the time, big five now, and then transitioned about a dozen years ago into developmental editing. Um, throughout all of this, I finally quit acting, and then I thought, well, I'm going to, um, I moved away, I moved to, from Manhattan to Florida, and I thought, I will be a journalist. So I did that, and then I thought, I wonder if I could write full-length fiction myself. So I kind of thought that, you know, editing, I always loved it, but I wasn't sure for the first few years it was going to be my career, and then I realized, as much as I've always written, I am an editor at heart which I learned at a writer's conference when I, it was at Pike's Peak, and I was there, I guess this was about 12 or 13, no more, 15 years ago. And I know I was there as a writer, and I noticed that every single session I, I gravitated to and really lit up in were the editing ones. <laughs> and I realized kind of who I was. So I still do write fiction. As you said, I have um, my latest actually just released from Berkeley last week. Um, Tuesday under a pen name, Phoebe Fox, which I, I kept it separate because editing is my heart and soul. And I didn't want, well, at first I thought I didn't want authors to think that they weren't my full priority because that is my number one priority and they are. But then just lately I've started to realize that part of it was self-doubt. Like I was afraid that the authors I work with as an editor would read my writing and go, well, why should I listen to her as an editor? She's, she, you know, she's okay. <laughs> and I realized that felt a little bit inauthentic, especially if I'm working with authors, I need to be pretty upfront about the fact that I'm in the trenches too. I get it. And frankly, I am a better editor probably than a writer and I can't edit my own writing the way I can edit it. But 
I felt like it was just more honest to come clean about that. So it's been a weird for the first time. This is my fifth novel. And for the first time, I'm kind of meshing these two identities. But it's been really nice. It's been a lot less scary than I thought it would be. That is the most creative journey. I love, I mean, you went from acting to like, <laughs> maybe all right, to like journalism, to like, okay, actually, no, I really think I just like to be an editor. And so, um, and I love that because a lot of our listeners, they, they're like in creative spaces too. Like they're in just, they're in different places. You know what I mean? Whether that be in law or like whatever career or industry they're in, but then they're like, oh, well, I want to write a novel or I want to get in this field. So like, how did you finally get that like gut okay, you know, like to transition from, you know, such a less field because you wouldn't really think, oh, okay, an actress into like writing, you know what I mean? And so like, how did you make that leap and then go from the writing into the editing? Like what clicked inside of you to do that? Well, it's funny. I think I was a writer before I was anything at all. I mean, I was an actor from the time I remember, but I was writing stories from the time I was a little kid and I majored in English lit. So part of me clearly knew that this was the path I loved, but um, I don't know why I didn't think it was really a viable career path or I think acting just kind of took me over at that age. And I thought this is really what my dream is. And I did that for a long time and I thought it was all I would ever do. And I was living in Manhattan and I'd had some success as an actor, but then I had, I'd been up there maybe nine years and I, I realized I wasn't happy and I didn't know why I wasn't happy. And so I started going through everything in my life I could analyze to figure out what is it that's making me not happy? Should I do this? Should I do this? And almost just being silly, I asked myself, should I quit acting? which was the equivalent at the time for me of saying, should I remove my left leg? But, <laughs> but all of a sudden I started smiling and I couldn't stop smiling. And it was the weirdest feeling because I realized at that moment I was done with this thing that I thought was everything I'd ever do. So um, the writing, like I said, I'd always done that, but I, like a lot of probably your listeners, I didn't think you could actually, you know, do that for a living. <laughs> so the journalism was a natural transition sort of side by side with the editing because I knew I loved writing, but this was writing that paid. <laughs> and I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> so, and this was before journalism kind of crumbled too. So at the time I was a freelancer and, and it paid pretty well. I was doing pretty all right. And then I'm, that was in Florida. And then when I moved from Florida, I knew that I had sort of moved on from journalism and I wanted to work on long form fiction, but that was a really great, that was sort of good timing because that was when journalism sort of fell apart and freelance journalism, I think became a lot more challenging. So, so then I went, you know, I went from the incredibly, um, reliable field of acting to the incredibly reliable field of freelance journalism to the incredibly reliable field of trying to publish a book. <laughs> so apparently as much as I think I hate rejection, I don't, but you know, it does help. And, and it's interesting that you bring up all your listeners having other careers. I actually think that's pretty great, especially if you love what you do. I mean, first of all, I think most of your listeners probably know how few writers actually make a living from writing. Most all of us have day jobs. If you're lucky, your day job, and I'm making little air quotes here, is something you love. And so if you're a lawyer or whatever you're doing, if you get enough enjoyment out of that, that pays the bills to allow you to do this other creative pursuit that you love, I think that's about as good as it gets. I mean, we'd all love to be JK Rowling, I'm sure, but, but I think it's pretty great to get to pursue something you love 
that buys you the freedom to pursue your creative passions. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And we are huge supporters of multiple streams of income. And I just can't say enough good things about it just because, I mean, I love writing and it's so nice to have something to pour my creativity into. But if it were the only thing I did, I think I would get bored with it. (gasps) I feel the same way. And I never hear people say that. Yeah. Like, honestly, I think I would just be like, why am I doing this a hundred percent of the time? And knowing that about myself and knowing that I get bored with different things. And if I don't have any restrictions on my time, then I just kind of go crazy. And so I, I really realized it this year because I've been putting my books up for pre-order so that I have deadlines so that I actually get things done. And I'm like, Oh, this is a weird thing about myself. I, I know it, but, um, I really think it's helpful to have something creative just as a release kind of from everything else that we're doing. And that's what I find that writing is for me. It is that creative piece. And I know I don't have to worry about trying to make sure I'm writing to market and trying to make sure I'm like hitting all these things so I can make all these sales. Like I know it's going to happen. And it's just something that, you know, just relax and really enjoy the process. And I think it's really important to enjoy that process. And so with that, I kind of want to transition into talking about your latest book, Intuitive Editing. And I'm really excited because I started reading it. And I guess when I started reading it, I was kind of thinking that it was going to be like, you know, how to self-edit your book. And it is, but it's also so much more. Like I was reading it and I was like, this is, this is crap here. These are the questions I need to ask myself before I even begin writing. And I loved it. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about uh, what inspired you to write it and kind of some some of the takeaways we can expect from it. Because and I was like, oh, this is fantastic because I'm a, I'm a pantser and Stephanie is a plotter. And so we kind of approached different angles, but it, it really works. And there are things that you're, you write about in your book that, you know, we both need to do as a plotter versus a pantser. And so, yeah, we just tell us about that project. Yeah. Um, I love, by the way, that's one of the things I really enjoy about your podcast is that you have these completely different approaches to writing and they're equally valid and they equally work for you which was actually sort of the impetus behind writing the book is Mm. I love, love, love craft books. We talked about this a little bit earlier and I read them widely as a lot of us do, but I'm also a really big believer that not any one system works for every author or every story at every time. You know, I mean, we change, we're creative creatures and we're always evolving. And so I think that we read widely and then we take from that what works best for us with any given story. And a lot of the things that I sometimes see authors do is read, you know, there's all these great systems like uh, Save the Cat or the six stage plot structure or um, the W plot structure, the hero's journey. These are great. But as soon as you take any system of like dogmatic craft belief and try to impose it on your writing, you're putting strictures on your creativity and you are, you're hampering it instead of freeing it. So I wanted to write, I know editing is not always author's favorite part of writing, but to me, it it absolutely is where the magic happens. And it's where you really discover the soul of your story and deepen and grow it into everything it can be. So in the writing process, you kind of, 
forgive the grotesque imagery, vomit it onto the page. <laughs> and then when you go back as an editor, that's when you can really dig in and flesh these characters out and build the story and deepen the stakes and find all of these facets and dimensions that you may not have been able to do while you were writing. So the reason I wrote it was because I think editing, you know, you finish your draft and then generally writers do one of two things. They look up at the top of Revision Mountain and they go, no, no, it is too much. I cannot. Or they just start. Um, I think a lot of authors interpret it's time to edit as let me polish my prose, which is a big part of it, but it's the last part of it. It's basically decorating the house. But first we need to make sure the house is solid, all the walls are in place and the joists will support the weight and then we can decorate it at the end. But if you, if you get overwhelmed by just looking at, oh my God, all this, I don't quite know how to know what to do and I don't know how to do it then you freeze up. And I think this is where a lot of writers just give up on a story or even on writing in general. But if you take it really systematically and look at it logically. So I broke down the book, the way that I work with authors as an editor, I've been doing this for, um, gosh, almost 30 years, I guess. And I've worked with authors at every stage of their career. And it's just simplifying. It's demystifying it and looking at what you have and taking the approach of, okay, how do I see what areas could stand to be shored up? And how do I then approach those and make sure that the vision I have in my head, because as the author, the creator, you're constantly filling that in. You know too much, right? So as you read, it's coming to life in your head, but how do you know if it's coming across that way to the reader? So I structured the book in two different sections in each. So I break it down into each element of craft, stakes, plot, character, you know, point of view, suspense, intention, everything you've read about. And for each chapter, I break it down into how to find it and then how to fix it. And that's not prescriptive. That's not saying, okay, this is, this is what every story should look like. It's teaching authors how to ask the right questions of their own story so that they can find those answers inside themselves. And that's why I call it intuitive, because to me, it's this internal, organic, creative process that stems from the author with the help of some objective editing, either a person or something like this book that allows you to step outside of all the things you already know in your head and get that distance to ask yourself the right questions. So... I love that you mentioned that and you began highlighting on like the actual process. And I think for me, because I am such a meticulous plotter, so intuitive editing was like my jam, right? And so, <laughs> <laughs> and, but the thing is, it's interesting because as I was reading it, you know, like Angela mentioned, it really works for everyone because like, even in like, there were certain parts where you talked about like, you know, you cold read and then you've got to ask yourself like specific questions. And so I'm reading through the questions and I was like, Oh dear God, I need to ask myself this the next time. I go <laughs> I'm like, so I completely skipped this whole process. And you know how you mentioned like, you know, most writers will just like, they'll edit prose and they'll say that's editing. So that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, oh, well, 
Now I know what to do. And so I love how like it's just broken down. And you have macro editing versus micro editing, which I think is awesome because like so my process when I'm actually like writing and plotting is I macro plot and then I like I micro plot, you know, like I tackle everything big and with my world, especially. And then I go through the micro um, parts of it. So can we talk about that process? Because really intuitive editing for me, like my biggest takeaway from it was it helps us go from writer to reader to editor it's like go like switching through those processes like okay you finish writing the thing you need to switch your brain and your gears here because now you got to edit the thing so like talk to us about like those two sides like the macro editing part of it versus like the micro editing part like what does that mean in the book First, I have to say that I love that you broke it down that way. That's perfect. That's literally exactly how I, I set up. I mean, I didn't realize it until you just said it. But yeah, that's exactly what you do. You write when you're writing and then you read it like a reader in as much as possible. And I have a whole chapter on how to do that. And then you approach it as the editor. But you have to keep them separate because if you're sitting there as the writer with the editor on your shoulder, you freeze up, you know, that's like having a mean teacher sitting there telling you why everything you're doing is wrong while you're doing it. And yeah. there's no creative soul on earth. I don't think that can weather that and hold on to that kind of creative trance you have to go into. But that wasn't what you asked. What you <laughs> asked was macro micro editing. I can't believe I remember that is not my way. Um, <laughs> So the the reason this is, I think, kind of common with editors, but the reason I like to approach it that way is the macro stuff is the, uh, let's go back to the house metaphor. It's kind of the foundation of the house. It's, I define it and maybe other editors define it differently. But to me, the, the three key elements that have to be rock solid are character, stakes, and plot, kind of in that order, but they all really work hand in hand because First of all, character is the window into the story, right? Readers do not care what's happening until we care who it's happening to mm -hmm. because we're human beings and we relate to story through other human beings. If I tell you an objective thing like 50,000 people died in an earthquake, it's like, oh, that's sad. But it doesn't really affect you until I go, let me tell you about Linda who mm. was on her way to work with her child and the earthquake hit. And now suddenly this is personal to you and you can relate to that. And that's the window into this story. So the specific becomes the window into the universal and you do that with character. Stakes, if the characters don't have something really important at stake, if they don't desperately want something and stand to lose something very important or gain something very important by achieving it, if they don't care that much, then readers can't care. So we care through the characters, so the stakes have to be high. And then the plot, if they don't have anywhere to go with all of that, then we're just kind of treading water. So that's, so my, macro is the first thing to really get rock solid, but then the micro is every bit as important. Like, I think the first one I put in there is suspense and tension, which no matter your genre should be on every single page of your story, because that's the thing that makes us turn the page. Um, I did a whole chapter on point of view. And I, at first, as I'm writing it, I thought, well, this is going to be really remedial because most writers get it. And then I got so thick into it. And I thought point of view is this incredibly dense topic. And it's so faceted. And you really have to, it's not just like, what point of view are you telling the story? And it's how do you convey that? How do you bring the reader directly into that? Um, how do you know if it's consistent, if you've slipped out of it? And that is crucial for how the reader will identify with your story and feel that they're on firm footing. The characters are the, the I guess, the avatar that we travel the story 
through. So we've really got to have a solid point of view. And then what else do I have in there? Um, showing and telling. Everybody calls it show versus tell, but to me, they're equally important and you use them in different times. If you're, if you're of the, oh, always show, don't tell school, then you get like scenes that are three pages long of the character driving from one page, one place to the next. We don't need to see everything. Just skip to the good stuff, as Elmore Leonard said. And structure and voice, but it's this big like Jenga puzzle where I even say, I think in the introduction, there's no way to just separate each of these craft elements out into discrete chunks. Every one of them affects every other one of them. And there's so much overlap. You kind of have to see it as a whole, but I think that's one of the reasons editing feels overwhelming is you just think there's too, <laughs> there's too much. I cannot do this. Yeah, no, for sure. And so First of all, that was awesome. <laughs> I don't know when your brain is like still processing. <laughs> and I even left out line editing. That's like the third thing. And that's the part we were talking about. That's the making the pros pretty. Line editing is a ton of fun, but it's the last thing. The last thing. But like, so when you're working with writers, especially writers who may not be, you know, um, maybe as adept at, you know, like editing their own work and really tackling the majors when it's for the majors and then like, you know, going to the minors afterwards. So what do you tell them to do first? Like, you know, especially if they're, you know, for Angela and I, like we're epic fantasy authors, right? So like the project is always like this big thing <laughs> that yeah. you have to edit in like such a short time frame before you get it off to your editor. So what do you first like encourage, um, you know, writers to do like when they're first approaching their editing? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, so we talked a minute ago about the, the writer hat, the editor hat, the reader hat. Um, after you finish writing, if you can put it away for a little while and get your objectivity back, even if that's just a day or two, then you're kind of going to transition into reader brain. And the first thing I always suggest authors do is just read it like a reader. Um, I think one thing that writers do is they finish writing their first draft and then they go back to edit it and they start at the beginning and they dive right in and they just start editing as they go. And you have to get oriented to the big picture. So when I'm editing as a professional editor and I get a manuscript, literally the first thing I do is put it on my reader and read it like a novel, like a published novel. I don't make notes really. I don't, um, I'm not analyzing it. I'm just sort of orienting myself to the world of the story. And I know that as a writer, you wrote it and you think, of course, I know the story, but you have to see how it's all hanging together. And the best way to do that is read it like a reader in as much as you can. And in the book, I, I offer a whole bunch of ways to do that. Um, putting it on your e-reader is a great one because suddenly it looks like a book that you, you know, gives you that distance of it looking like all the other books in your library that you might read or silly little things that are truly helpful, like reading it in a different font, reading it um, in a different location than the one where you wrote it, reading it in a different format. If you write online or, you know, um, help me, I'm, I'm having an old person moment. If you write oh. on the computer, then print it. Sorry, sometimes. <laughs> an old person moment, not just like forgetting the word, but like, oh, what are these newfangled things we write on? Not typewriters, but um, <laughs> <sighs> sorry, guys, been at this a while. 
So you can print it. If you're printing it and reading it, honestly, that's like a different region of your brain than the one that's reading it off the monitor or have it read to you. And you can do that with like text to speech um, programs on a computer or you can do it. Uh, you can read it, you know, record it and then hear it or just read it out loud and listen. So get the objectivity, read it like a reader. And as you're doing that, don't think too hard about it. I call it feeling the story, just like let it wash over you and see what your impressions are and start maybe thinking about certain questions like, um, do I, do I understand these characters? Can I relate to them? Did I feel engaged all the way through? Did the plot make sense? Did there feel like there was something missing? Did I lose interest at any point? Just big stuff. And you're not writing anything down. You're not worrying about it. You're just noting what might jump out at you. Then after you do that, you can sort of, as an editor, I will just sit and think at that point and go, okay, what, what do I feel about this story? And sometimes mm -hmm. I'll think things like, um, I don't really think I knew what the character wanted, the main character. I'm not sure I strongly felt her motivation or, you know, I, I remember sort of feeling like the story was slow halfway through. So it feels like there's a momentum issue there. And what I'm doing when I'm asking myself these questions is circling in on what story areas I need to address. So in that case, I would be like, okay, there's some character work to do. There's some momentum work to do. Momentum can be tied to so many things like suspense and tension, stakes, plot. So I would look at all those things too. Then I would go back in for the main edit, but this is where it gets weird because again, everybody starts at the beginning and they work through. Um, I have adapted from my one of my editing idols, Saul Stein, a system called triage. And that's what he calls it. And I borrow that phrase. It is basically the idea of triage, right? Is that if you're say in a field hospital and all these injuries come in, you take the big bleeders first. The ones that are in the most danger of not making it, you get those in immediately because the broken legs and the little scratches, they can wait. Mm -hmm. So rather than starting with chronologically every little thing that you're seeing, figure out what those big story areas are Let's say, you have, let's say you realize your character is not fully fleshed enough and her motivations aren't clear. Fix that first. Go through, first of all, do the work you need to do for, in the background, right? Or you sit and you do kind of your fleshing out. However you do that, you pantsers and plotters. <laughs> if you write it all down, great. If you just like let it work in the back of your mind while you're walking the dog, also great. But figure those answers out and then go into those places in the manuscript where that was evident to you. Mm. In a professional edit, I would actually put an embedded comment there. And I would say, this is one of the places where I'm really not understanding what's driving her here. And so the author would know, oh, okay, that's where I need to make it clearer and weave it throughout the story. So go in and do the big, plug the dam first, <laughs> do the big work. And then you can go in. And if you want to go beginning to end, then you can start addressing little by little everything you see. But the problem is if you start that way, Every time you start at the beginning, you're losing that objectivity and freshness for the story that is essential to have when you're revising and editing. So the fewer times you do that, the better. So I actually advocate plugging the holes in the dam and then putting it aside for another day or two and going and doing another read like a reader because different things are going to jump out at you. You will see if you plug those holes and then you can go back and you can either triage again or start from the beginning. Uh, I can't tell you how many manuscripts I used to see well, I say used to because I always do sample edits and I would always, I used to ask for something from the beginning of the 
manuscript. And what you wind up with is some incredibly good, polished, fantastic opening. And I would give my quote and, you know, my estimate the time it was going to take me based on that. And then I would realize that the rest of the story was not in nearly as good a shape because when you start at the beginning and you keep going through, you polish the life out of the early parts, but then every time you're losing that freshness and objectivity. And so you kind of run out of steam as you go. It's okay. weird. It's a counterintuitive way of doing it, but honestly, I think it's the most effective way to edit. I love it. <laughs> no, that is so eye-opening because I always edit like going back to the beginning and let's go. And, you know, I might not do like a, a nice like line edit in the beginning, but I'll try to like fix everything. But I love the chronological order. Like I do it and I fix it. And then I realize that I am that person. I go back and like the beginning is great. And then I'm like this middle, I really need some work. Why <laughs> I so much time on the beginning. But um, I also love that you, you said, and also in the book, just talking about sitting back and being a reader and just like reading it. Um, because I do read on my Kindle, but then I also like take notes and I'm like highlighting and <laughs> It's so tempting, right? You're because you just want to dive in and fix it. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's it's really fun to go about it that way. But I'm starting to see where oh, I can improve in this area and improve in that area. So it, it's really cool to hear all of this and getting so many ideals and so well. Like, so the value <laughs> the value of an editor, a professional editor, or a crit partner or beta reader is that 30,000 foot view, right? Because they can step back and take in the whole. And so this is a way to, this is why I always say, uh, I don't know that you can replace the value of an editor, but you can do a whole lot on your own by learning the skills that an editor brings to your book, to your manuscript, by practicing getting that objective distance. I even advocate doing it. So the greatest way on earth to learn it is by doing that for other people's stories you know, doing that objective feedback and analysis, and you can do it with crit partners, but I, I have a whole free online course I offer where you can do it with movies, television shows. I do it in commercials, I swear, like commercial. <laughs> it's a story, right? I mean, think of like that old spice commercial. Remember the, that gorgeous old spice guy? I'm on a boat, that guy. <laughs> what, that was a story. The story was this woman, you know, he was the man your man could smell like. And it was selling us this entire narrative of what, where we are at our point A, which is wishing our man could be like this man, going on the journey with this gorgeous old spice guy, and then getting to our point B where we can make our man smell like that man. You can analyze song lyrics. You can analyze newspaper articles, everything, TED Talks, everything is a story. And the more you practice doing that, it almost becomes second nature so that when you do go into your own story to edit it, you can slip into that editor mindset easier and easier every time. I love how it's a principle, right? So like essentially it's not just like, okay, well, these are like little strategies you can do to make your story better, but it's almost as if this is like an editing principle, like, you know, cold read first, like don't even... So I as well am Angela, right? Like, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to see what this is about. You know, I forgot the first half. Within like three pages, I have like half the page highlighted. I need to change their name. I need to change like what is going on over here. You know, and I'm like, oh, wow. I really did not do what I set out to do. Shame. So, like, you know. But you'll like, get I to that, right? <laughs> Later in the process, you can do that. But at first, just give it. How often do you get the pleasure of reading your own story yeah. that way? 
Give yourself the pleasure of taking in what you did. But I love that because it keeps the fun in it, right? And that's something else that we're huge about because once the process becomes just laborious and boring, it's like, okay, why am I doing this? But but like it really, it keeps the fun in it because like I know with my book, Seraphim Falling, um, I did actually give myself the liberty of just like cold reading it. And there were some parts where I was like, oh, you're not as bad as you thought. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you love when you're reading your own work and you're like, damn, that's good. Oh, wait, I wrote that. (laughs) You know, and so I love it. But I really I love the principles and just like the breaking down of these different processes. And, you know, you mentioned how it's awesome to have these tools and these skills so that you can edit yourself and then, you know, you can work with an editor. And so what would you think? Because obviously editors are invaluable. You know what I mean? Like you can, as much as you can chop it up yourself, you have to have to have to hire a professional editor to also, you know, go through it as well. That's something that we hit because I know the three of us have read our share of content where we're like, (laughs) (laughs) I wish the podcast audience could see your expression when you, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, you know, just why, 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 (laughs) you know? And so how do you think authors, especially indies, how can they go about that? You know, understanding, okay, I can do a huge bulk of this work by myself, but I also need to work with an editor. So once they've done that work, you know, what is what should an editor do for them? Like, what should they look for? So you're, you're going to get the most value out of a professional edit by doing absolutely everything you're capable of doing on your own first. And these mm-hmm. skills are invaluable. I, I will say I do have a chapter in the book about options that are not a professional edit because it's not it's expensive, as you guys know. It's not always within everybody's reach. Um, it's not always feasible if you're not self-publishing and presumably indie authors listening do plan to, uh, indie publish, but if you're not, and you're going to look for an agent or whatever, you don't necessarily need a developmental editor for that. If you have a really solid crit group or beta partner or ways of getting that objective feedback. So, um, I don't want to understate the importance of a professional edit. I do think it's important very important and it's invaluable, but learning to do so much of this yourself will stand you in really good stead. So I forgot your question. (laughs) You said, sorry, I told you this would happen. (laughs) No, like just once they've gone through that, you know, like what should they look for if they still want to work with an editor? Ah. What do they get out of an editor? Oh, that's a genius question. Okay. I have a whole chapter on this too. And I actually have a I I believe so. This is you have hit on one of my huge torch bearing missions in life, which is um, and I'm sure your your listeners already know this. Anybody can hang out a shingle and call themselves an editor. There is no Mm. governing body. There is no official training program or certification. So it is on you as an author to do your due diligence and make sure you're hiring someone who is going to be worth this, this fairly significant investment you're making. So how can you do that? There are um, in the book and in my, this little, so I created this 13 page free giveaway for people who subscribe to my newsletter, because I feel that strongly about finding really solid editors. There are some amazingly experienced, reputable, good, honest editors out there. And then there are some people who probably shouldn't be charging you thousands of dollars and may do more harm than good. I've heard some horror stories. So 
one great way to discover like a great editor is read the acknowledgements of books you really liked, especially in this era of hybrid authors and indie, you know, the viability of indie authors. A lot of these people are working with freelance editors. Um, You can ask your writer community. Generally, there's great word of mouth on really good editors. There are a list in this little giveaway and also in my book, there's probably 20 different writers or or editors organizations that I list. And again, all you have to do is say you want to be a member for most of them. So you still have to do your due diligence, but it's a really good place to start. If I have forked over an annual membership for this editing um, organization, chances are I'm at least treating this professionally and as a business. And so that's a great step. But I, I strongly advocate never working with an editor who will not offer you a sample edit. Mm. That's that's probably my number one thing to look for because this is a, a weirdly intimate relationship. An editor is going to get all up in your business and not just your story, but your personal business, because whether you know it or not, you are revealing so much about yourself in the in the pages of your manuscript. And so editors are going to dig and they're going to push you pretty hard. And you're going to, it's like I had one author liken it to orange theory. She said, I absolutely hate going. I hate every second of it while I'm there. And then afterward, I'm so glad I went because I know I feel so much better. (laughs) So you're going to be in that kind of a relationship with somebody. And you want this to be somebody who is not only professional and experienced in your genre and in your medium. So somebody who was a college professor or a newspaper editor or any other number of very qualified careers is not necessarily qualified to edit your book, your fiction manuscript. Um, But beyond all of those qualifications that you need to make sure they have, there's this fit element that is crucially important. Do they get you? Do they get your voice? Do they get your story? Are they on board with what you're doing? And that doesn't mean they're like yes men trying to just tell you, yeah, this everything you have is great, <clears throat> but they are, they, they see your vision and you will know that from a sample edit and they offer feedback that is actionable and practical and useful and specific. So it's not enough to say, you know, well, these characters don't feel real to me. Okay, thanks. That's not very helpful for me as an author. What do you mean? And so a good editor will say, I didn't feel like I understood her motivation for leaving her husband in this scene. And the reason is that I don't see this, this or this. And some ways you might address it are, and I don't say, have her do this. I say, ask yourself, why is she doing this thing? Or what is she thinking when this happens? Or So it's never... I'm never giving you ideas. It's not prescriptive. I am holding up a mirror to what you have and saying, here's what's actually on the page. Now, here are the dark areas that I can't see anything. And and here's some questions I have about that for you to ask yourself and answer and put that on the page so that readers can, so that everything, all that richness and technicolor that's in your head is evident to readers on the page. Yeah. I absolutely love that. And I've worked with whew, my share of editors and I've seen the good and I've seen the bad. And, you know, I've seen the ones where I'm like, oh yeah, you actually really get this. Um, and so when you're when you're working with an editor, um, I guess my question is, how do you know what kind of edit you need? 
Um, because mm. I've seen it listed on different websites. Okay, this is a developmental. This is a line edit. This is a proofread. And I know for a fact when I go to an editor for an edit, I really don't care what it is. I just want them to figure out like what's wrong and what's missing so I can fix it. Uh, <laughs> which obviously like I should go through intuitive editing, right? And like do all of that <laughs> myself. But I always, I really value kind of like a reader's opinion too. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, again, like you said, it's really hard to see everything myself. And I really just need to step back and get some like outside opinion. But I, I guess I don't care what kind of edit it is. I just need whatever it is the book needs. <laughs> I guess well, so I think what I go for. I think you do care, but where, where I think what it sounds like is happening in your mind is the most vexing thing about editing, which <laughs> is that I will, I will give you a quick definition of each of those. And if you ask a dozen other editors, they may give you a slightly different definition of each of them. And there's really very little agreement. So when I work with publishers, I am a developmental editor or directly with authors as well. And what that means is that I will give the big picture feedback. So I'll write, if you do a full developmental edit with me, with many editors, you will get a really long, really in-depth editorial letter that is <laughs> what one of my authors called a literary root canal. But that's, <laughs> I think she meant that fondly. That is a big, that's the umbrella view of everything. That's like, here's everything I am seeing in general. And I will talk about like really specifically all these different areas of the story that I feel like would be more effective if they were developed or clarified or um, tightened up or whatever the case may be. And then as a part of that de same developmental edit, I will also include what some editors refer to as a line edit, which I do not refer to as a line edit. And that is you ever work with an editor and when you get it back, it's got all those comments embedded. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of editors call that a line edit. That is, not actually a line edit. <laughs> a line edit is the prose part. That's when we go through and we look at the prose itself and we figure out, is this the most effective way to say it? Is it tight enough? Have you said things redundantly? Um, are you conveying what you actually mean? Are these the words that you mean? Are these the strongest words you can say? The embedded comments are really a part of the developmental edit. And if you Work with an editor that does not include them. The reason that they're valuable is it takes all the concepts from that big picture editorial letter mm -hmm. and it shows you specifically, like if the if the editorial letter is the roadmap to what might benefit from some development in your story, the embedded comments are the road signs. It's like, as you go, every little, every single place I saw anything I noted in the editorial letter will be noted in the comments and I will say things like, you know, this is one of the places where the character felt a little, I didn't really understand who she was here, or I didn't understand her motivation, or I don't know what's at stake in this scene, or we're not, I don't know what's, um, I don't feel the suspense here. Like what, what does she have to lose in this scene? What, what question do we need answered in this scene? And these, again, I will ask the author those questions for the author to find the answers. But, and I'm glad we got to this because one of the things that I, did not mention and I should have when you were talking about looking for an editor, um, maybe even more than the sample edit, you have the right to, to expect and demand respect from an editor. I, I have heard stories where editors, um, 
so we don't exist without you basically. <laughs> so any editor who doesn't approach your story as something that we are privileged to work with you on and that our job is simply to reflect back to you what you're seeing and help you, you know, we're the, we're flying the drone over the forest and we're going, Hey, I see the path. I will show, I will light it up for you so you can see it, but you've got to travel it. And any editor who tries to push you in a certain direction that doesn't feel organic to your story or denigrates you in any way or denigrates your writing or does not take a respectful, positive, constructive tone in their feedback, I would say run away. You, mm. you deserve and should expect that. Yeah, I love that you said that because that's really important. And I mean, I've been lucky to work with really constructive editors, but I can kind of tell too sometimes when I'm working with an editor and they're not sure how far they can push me. And I'm like, you can push, you know, just as long as it's constructive, just push. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like it's not, uh, it's not helpful to, I guess, tear something apart without offering some perspective on like when I make a note, I will, I will almost always say why I am making the note and then offer some ways that that thing might be addressed. And it's up to you to decide what feels right specifically for the story, but I'm going to give you all the concrete specifics that I can because that's what makes it constructive and actionable. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I do have one more question. So, you know, we did talk about like working with an editor, but let's say, you know, you do have an indie who's like, hey, you know, I've got a full family to support here. I really can't shell out, you know, for this individual as much as I want to. What do you think are some other options that they could invest in to really make their work as professional as possible? Just, you know, a bit DIY <laughs> until yeah. they can shell out for a very professional individual to go through their work. So the first thing to do is get really good at self-editing and that's intuitive editing. That's uh, I'm a huge fan of Saul Stein's books. I think I mentioned there are lots of editing books out there. Read widely, take what works for you. Maybe it's a little bit from every one of them. Um, so do the best you can on your own. But then this is where like crit partners and beta readers are invaluable because really what you need from an editor is that objective distance. And that's what those people will bring to it. But the key is pick the right people. <laughs> um, a bad critique group or critique partner or, or beta reader can do more damage to you than anything they can offer in the way of help. So there are, I mentioned in the book, some ways to sort of make sure you're getting an effective, useful um, critique from these people. And one is pick people who are uh, beta readers a different animal. So let's let's start with critique partners. I would say pick somebody who is either a writer in or familiar with your genre. Um, pick somebody who is at a similar, if not more advanced place than you are in your career, if possible. Pick somebody who offer who is able to articulate not just what does and doesn't work for them but why it doesn't, even if they're not gonna be able to say, here's how, here's some ways you could fix it. At least if they can tell you, you know, if they say, I just, I don't know, I, I lost interest halfway through and it felt slow to me, that's not really actionable. You can't do anything with that, but you can, you can um, I talk about creating a questionnaire for your critique partners and your beta readers, where you can specifically help them if they're not necessarily writers who know how to communicate this way. And you can say, if you put the, if you put the book down or if you lost interest anywhere, what was happening when that, mm. when, you know, in the story, when that happened, what were you feeling? 
So it's even if they don't have the language to say, oh, the stakes were low, they can go, I don't know. I just didn't really care what was happening to her, I guess. And so now you as a writer can go, ah, I know how to interpret that. So you can lead them to give you the kind of feedback that's useful. Um, if you do, if you do any kind of like writers conferences, I guess we don't, any of us do that anymore, but someday maybe when we do those again, they have those read and critique things where authors and uh, authors, editors, and agents will, you can submit to them. And as part of the class, they will go through your pages and offer feedback. Sample feedback on a few pages can be revelatory for you as an author, because then you can extrapolate like even a sample edit sometimes when I offer it to authors, these are things that I'm pretty confident they can address throughout the story. If, if it's an underdeveloped plot or stakes that are not clear, or I'm not feeling, you know, I don't understand what the source of tension is. My guess is that's not just specific to the scene that they sent me. That's a global thing that now they have the tool to understand, oh, I get what that is. I get why that's not evident on the page. And now I can take that throughout my entire manuscript. And then honestly, this whole training your editor brain thing I talked about where you can analyze all these other stories, if you make a habit out of that, you will be astonished at what it opens up to you as far as your own editorial eye. Oh my gosh, this is so much gold. Like I'm so excited. I just wanna go like edit something now. <laughs> and I'd be happier than that. Nobody likes to edit usually. So that Nobody. you say that makes me happy. <laughs> Yeah, I actually just finished a project and now I'm like, well, dang, I want to get back to it now. <laughs> I'm like run through it <laughs> real quick. But no, no, this is exciting. And it makes editing feel like something to look forward to because you're mm -hmm. really beautiful. You're really It's more of a creative it process, right? It's yeah. not this horrible beat the stick and take the red pencil and slash up your work. It's taking all the things you loved about writing it and going even deeper into that. And isn't that what we love to do? Yes, oh. it's putting the fun back in like the next process. Because I will say, I used to dread editing. Like I would be, because I love just the drafting process and then the editing process, low-key, high-key, freaks me out. So <laughs> I'm usually like, let me just run through this and just send it off to my editor, right? So like now it's like, oh, well, we can still keep having fun here. Okay. Yeah. Good. It's a chance to like, like I always liken it to sculpting. Writing is great, but it's where you're just roughing out the form. Sculpting is where it might be a little more tedious, right? You have to sit there and make the little tiny sanding passes and the fine chiseling, but that's how you make the David out of this chunk of marble. Oh, this is incredible. This is just, this is just so much fun. I can't oh, wait sure. for, for our listeners to hear this and for their feedback on it, just because it's just, I, I'm just, I feel so excited. Yeah. I know they're going to feel excited too. <laughs> I hope so. I really think editing is magic. It's where, you know, you, you mine the diamond out in writing, but you polish it up in editing and you turn it into that gorgeous gem. Yes. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing your knowledge. And we'll include links to your book and back to your website as well in the show notes so that our listeners can know where to find you and Thanks. know where to get this amazing book and get just as excited about editing as we are. I am so thankful for the invitation to come on. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed talking to both of you, even though you're on you know different camps there with the pantsing and the plotting. <laughs> Oh, yes. It's so much fun. <laughs> well, <thank you. laughs> 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. The journey to becoming a full-time author on your own terms is easier than you think. Plus, our community is one of a kind. With workshops, writing, and marketing resources, and much more, we're here to help you live your best indie author life. Ready to dive in? Visit IndieAuthorLifestyle.com forward slash inner circle for more details. Let's chat again in the next episode.